0: Hello and welcome back to the Calm 122 Podcast. My name is Max, and this is episode six. Let's get into things. While technological advances have dramatically cut down on the cost of producing multimedia content, media production remains a high risk and high cost business. Do you know how much it costs to produce an episode of Game of Thrones? The number is 10 million. What does the 10 million dollar cost entail? Well, it could include everything from script writing, content licensing, to crew selection, travel accommodations, and post-production CGI. Plus, all of the expenses relating to marketing and distribution. So, in a word, it's expensive to produce TV shows. In the movie industry, the average cost of producing a Hollywood film has also gone up, from $60 million in the late 1990s to $200 million recently. The media industry is making a big bet on all the money spent on things they produce. In other industries, the price of a product is governed by the invisible hand of the marketplace, that is, supply and demand. Prices go up if there's lots of demands and limited supply. Prices go down, there's an oversupply of a product with little demand. Yet the media industry hardly follows this rule. The thing is, it's difficult to predict demand of a media product because tastes of the audience will change constantly, and not to mention that media producers must deal with a fluid political situation where scandals could happen any time. Back in 2014, House of Cards was a hit show. Everyone was talking about how it helped Netflix and how big data analytics drove the production of the show. In 2018, its viewership hit the bottom after airing season six. Do you know what happened? Yes, it's Kevin Spacey. His sexual harassment scandal cost Netflix 39 million US dollars. So the question is, how does the industry counter the high risk and the high cost? Here are several strategies. Strategy number one, artificial scarcity. We know scarcity creates demand. If you shop on Amazon and find your favorite product only has a few items left in stock, you'll probably feel an urge to order it right away. The media industry can control the availability of information products in the hope that demand will increase if the product is not readily available. Such scarcity is artificial because in theory, the industry has a limitless supply of a media product. Think about Spotify. With a free account, you can listen to music, but you can't skip songs frequently, nor can you listen to your tracks offline. These features are reserved for premium users. By creating that paywall, the media industry creates the kind of artificial scarcity that drives people to pay for content. Strategy number two, economy of scale. This refers to the financial advantage that emerges when the average cost of producing a good decreases, as the number of units produced increases. In the media industry, the cost of producing the original or first copy is higher than subsequent copies. For example, It costs about 10 million dollars to produce an episode of Game of Thrones. That 10 million is the first copy cost, or we can also call it a sunk cost, which is irrecoverable costs that are incurred in the production of goods and services. The good news is, once the first copy is made, the second, the third, and all subsequent copies are exponentially cheaper to make and distribute. In the digital age, this means copying digital files and making them available on cloud servers. A show may have millions of views and downloads, and each view and download bring big money to the industry. The economy of scale strategy is what drives mass production of media products. But what is more powerful than that is the third strategy, the economy of scope. This is the financial advantage that emerges from producing a wide range of products, sometimes repurposing components or sharing costs of other enterprises. Have you been to the wizarding world of Harry Potter at Universal Studios? That is a theme park based on a media product. Harry Potter started as a novel and has later been adapted into movies, music, theme parks, t-shirts, mugs, and even emojis. What's selling here isn't the original Harry Potter novel, but the cultural symbols the novel creates and its trademarks and copyrights owned by the media companies. Moving on. Strategy number four, intentional overproduction. Did you know that most media products are mediocre and not hugely profitable? Those that make headlines and bring lucrative revenues are the small minority. In Hollywood, for example, 25% of the revenue is created by the top 1% of films. Given the low chance of success, the industry overproduces media content in order to beat the odds. Let's keep moving. Strategy number five, media conglomeration. Have you noticed that you have more and more media choices? In the streaming video industry alone, you have Netflix, Hulu, Prime Video, YouTube, Sling TV, Roku... I mean, the list goes on and on. If you flip channels on your local cable TV, you'll be overwhelmed by the choices. But do you know that this might just be an illusion? This is because more and more media companies are outlets owned by a small number of conglomerates. In 2011, about 90% of media outlets in the US are owned by just six companies. In the 1980s, that number was 50. So what's changed? As corporations become bigger, they want to have more control over the industry, and they want to venture into new industries. Forming media conglomerates can help cut down the cost and eliminate potential competitors. There are two types of media conglomeration. First, vertical integration. This is a form of conglomeration in which media companies seek control by acquiring firms at different levels of the production and distribution of goods or services. A quick example is Amazon. It owns your bookstore, your online marketplace. It has video streaming services, audiobook apps, and producers. But now, it also owns your grocery store. The CEO of Amazon also owns Washington Post, one of the flagship newspapers in the nation. The second type of conglomeration is called horizontal integration. A recent case is the proposed merger between Sprint and T-Mobile. Both are telecommunication companies that provide wireless services. They operate on the same level and in the same industry. This will be considered a horizontal merger. Horizontal integration oftentimes have a hard time with regulators who try to make sure that a single corporation does not grow too big to become a monopoly. So companies have to sell their prospect merger not as a horizontal, but as a vertical integration. Moving on to strategy number six, windowing. This is a strategy to maximize the number of windows, or markets, for the distribution of the same product. Think about your favorite movie. It'll hit theaters first, and then after a period of time, it'll become available on Netflix, Amazon Videos, Hulu, or the iTunes store. Later, the movie might be aired on cable channels and public broadcast channels even decades later. See, media products have a pretty long longevity in terms of revenue generation. Now there's a question for you. For Hulu and Netflix originals, do you think the windowing strategy still makes sense? Strategy number seven, cross-promotion. This is no stranger to anyone. You'll often see movie directors, anchors and actresses, or book authors appearing on talk shows. They could promote their own works while giving a boost to the show they appear on. Alright, I'm a bit tired, and I should stop now. I'm sure there are many more business strategies to keep the media business afloat, and we haven't had a chance to discuss the single most important strategy of all time, globalization. That'll be the topic for next week. Thanks for listening. See you then. Bye-bye.